last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. There are industries in North Korea that have more collective creative thinking than the National Football League. Free Jarek. Let's go. We got to get it going right now. And the moment you drive one of these wide receivers off the lot in a Dynasty rookie draft, it immediately crumbles in value. So here's an idea. Don't do it. Do not do it. And not 24, not 34, not, 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 not 44, 54 receptions. Gimme, 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 gimme. And the act of getting tackled as a positive trait. The fuck? What kind of opposite world are these draft zombies living in? That's what their thumbs are going to type. And they're going to type all this. They're going to hit tweet. And. You're a bench for the entire game for missing a curfew. You got to rob a bank. And. Fuck Bill Belichick. Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Mosier, and joining me, of course, is Matt Kelly. Matt, how are you doing today, sir? <laughs> I'm loving life, Marcus. I'm loving life, and here's why. It's late into the evening, but I treated myself this evening to a cup of hot coffee, and a nice hot cup of coffee is all I need to put me in a terrific mood. Are you a coffee guy? Are you a coffee drinker? I am. See, I'm pretty normal, though. I'm, I'm just right in the morning, black, cured coffee. I don't even care what flavor, don't care what kind, whatever you can give me in the morning, like right at 7 o'clock, and that's it. It can't get too late in the day. You said the most important thing right there, black coffee. Absolutely. Black coffee is the key. The easiest way to cut down your calorie intake and reduce the amount of granulated sugar that you intake, which builds up in your cells and creates all these problems, especially as you get older, is to cut out the sweeteners in all these things. Stop sweetening everything. Everything doesn't have to be fucking sweet. Stop sweetening everything, especially your coffee. Coffee tastes good. Get a bag of coffee beans and open it up and... Smells good. And if you make coffee right, it tastes good too without sugar or sweet and low, which is even worse for you. All of that. Preach it. Get that garbage out of there. It causes cancer. Just remove it from your house. The artificial sweeteners, get them out of your house. They are deadly. And the cream, the heavy cream, you don't need that extra saturated fat. Get that out of there. Just drink your coffee black. Drink coffee the way it's meant to taste. Now, the nice thing about the Keurig is, is it's a controlled environment. And if you're not a barista, then the Keurig is nice in that it reduces the amount of risk from you fucking up your coffee cup. And it takes the work out of it. The Keurig has figured out how to scientifically create a very good cup of coffee without a lot of effort and a lot of skill from the coffee drinker. So in that way, the Keurig has done us all a great service. However, I would suggest that eventually you take your coffee drinking to the next level, and that is learning the ways of the coffee bean and brewing your own coffee, not using the Keurig machine, not using the, the crutch 
shortcut, but actually brewing your coffee from scratch, from the beans. And, and here's how I do it. You get a coffee maker that's the carafe style coffee maker without the warmer. Never, ever, 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 ever buy a coffee maker with a warmer. The reason? The coffee at the bottom of the pot that's closest to the warmer, the warmer changes the molecular composition of the coffee, and that's what makes it bitter. When you drink bitter coffee, it's because whatever you're drinking was too close to the warmer, and it's no longer coffee anymore. It's something totally different. Because when it sits on that warmer for an elongated period of time, the molecular composition changes and it's no longer what you brewed. It's now this bitter, coagulated, disgusting liquid. You don't want that. So what you do is you get a coffee maker with a carafe and you warm the carafe. So you get one of these tea kettles, the quick heating tea kettles. You heat up the water, and you pre-warm the carafe before you make your coffee. You pour the hot water into the carafe for 30 seconds to a minute, then you dump it out, and then when you make your coffee, it holds in the heat much better. So a carafe is a thermos. So in the morning, I go to get a cup of coffee two hours after I brewed it. It's still hot. Why? Because I warmed the carafe. And the moment the coffee hits the bottom of that carafe, it's hitting a warm surface instead of a cold surface. It's physics. Does that make sense, Marcus? It sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work. And see, that's why I'm a cure guy because... No, it's actually not a lot of work to just pour a little bit of water into it. One of those tea kettles, you hit the button and it warms it and you warm up the carafe. It's not a lot of work. I promise. I promise you, Marcus, it's not a lot of work. I'm just explaining the process to you. You also ground the beans. So you get a bean grinder. And what I do, and this is key, this is super critical. I love coffee. I drink four to five cups of coffee a day. You can probably tell based on my demeanor on podcasts. I mix decaf beans and non-decaf beans. So oh, that's interesting. So all my coffee that I drink is half-calf because when I drink too much caffeinated coffee, my body goes out of equilibrium. You get anxious with heart palpitations. It's no good. No good. That's the problem with caffeine. So I'm starting to wind down my caffeine intake, and I'm starting to actually put more of the decaf beans than the regular beans, and I'm fine. It doesn't affect me at all. I like the flavor of the regular beans a little bit better than the decaf, so I like to have some regular beans in there. But if you get decaf beans from a Starbucks, you go into the Starbucks itself and get the decaf beans from an actual Starbucks, not from the grocery store, and, and make sure you don't grind them. They always ask you, should we grind these for you, sir? No, don't grind the beans for me. I need to wait until the last possible moment to grind these beans. And then when I'm ready to brew the coffee at that moment, boom, I grind the beans. So you grind the beans, and then the water is filtered water. I don't get water from the faucet. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? This is something you're about to drink. If you were going to drink a glass of water, you'd get it from the filter. So use filtered water in your coffee pot. You use freshly ground beans. My recommendation is 50 to 75% decaf beans and a pre-warmed carafe. You hit the brew button and oh my goodness. Oh, oh, that is delicious coffee. Oh, I start my day with a smile on my face because of that cup of coffee with no sugar or cream added because I am a real man. 
and real men drink black coffee. Yes. Yeah, that's the most important. No matter where you're making it, no matter how you drink it, no cream. That's the entire thing. The cream just ruins it. It, it, Coffee is supposed to have a little bit of a bitter taste, though, right? It's not supposed to be drinking uh, like a cappuccino or something like that. You, You just need to make sure it's black, and I promise you will enjoy your coffee experience more. Yes, learn the ways of the coffee bean. Embrace the coffee bean. More decaf than regular. But embrace the coffee bean, and you can drink more coffee and get more pleasure, especially from your morning. I have mornings that I go without coffee, and because I'm not addicted to caffeine any longer, it doesn't bother me. I don't get headaches if I don't have coffee anymore. That's another benefit of the half-calf. But your morning's not as enjoyable. Why would you want to do that? I always think back, actually. If it's later in the afternoon, I realize, oh, I never had any coffee today. I always think, hmm, wow, my day would have been better if I had that coffee. Oh, well. Yes. I'll make sure I correct it tomorrow and brew a delicious pot of fresh coffee the right way. No warmer, filtered water, fresh grounds, a heated carafe, and keep it black. We need to get a coffee sponsor on here. If anybody wants to sponsor this podcast, we will we will accept any coffee companies. All these mansion lifestyle segments that we do should be sponsored. But the beauty is we're talking about household products, in this case beverages, without a sponsorship because I genuinely care about the audience improving their life. That's what the mansion lifestyle is all about. It's taken me decades to figure all this shit out. Now I'm giving you the notes, the pro tips, the cheat sheet. For a more enjoyable life, you're welcome. The other way that you can improve your life is by improving your Dynasty League team. It's a good transition right there. Like the segue, like this is the thing. I was thinking about this because you and I, we, we, we talked about excellent transitions and segues in the last show. And I was thinking today, I was like, I want to show off for Marcus again. I got to execute another high wire act segue for Marcus to show off. And sure enough, I, I did it, man. I did it. Color me impressed. The crowd was eagerly anticipating it, and and they were holding their breath, and I made it to the other side, and now they're clapping. Everyone's exhaling. And the easiest way to improve your Dynasty League team is to stop trading in January and February. You don't need to trade during this period of time, especially trading for players who are pending free agents, such as Isaiah Crowell and Allen Robinson and Jarvis Landry and Jimmy Graham. We don't know where they're going to end up. They could land in worst-case scenario like Kenny Britt last season. Trading for Kenny Britt before he landed on the Browns made no sense because the moment he signed with the Browns, his dynasty value collapsed. His fantasy football value across all league formats collapsed. So why do it? It doesn't make sense. Dynasty leaguers should implement a self-imposed ban, a trade halt on all pending free agents. Do not acquire or trade them away until they've signed with a new team. Don't do it. Now, we know that's not going to happen in most of these leagues. So this is my question for you. If you have dynasty players on your roster who are about to hit free agency, should you be looking to trade them away or should you wait until you see where they land? That's a great point. I am open for business if anyone wants to overpay for my pending free agents. Absolutely. I'm fine allowing you to take on the risk. I'm all about my competitors taking on my risk. I'm all about that. But the last thing I would ever think about doing is proposing a trade 
where I acquire a pending free agent. Here's why. Bingo. At playerprofiler.com, we give you an opportunity to leverage advanced information better than your league mates. Most of your league mates are not as tuned in to the measurements that are most predictive of these players. Think about who your league mates are. I'm sure the majority of your competitors are not subscribers to Roto Underworld Radio or to the Sonic Truth Podcast. Therefore, you have a competitive advantage on your league mates by bookmarking playerprofiler.com, by listening to the Sonic Truth Podcast, by signing up for the data analysis tool, the most powerful research tool in fantasy football. Playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis. And you forfeit that advantage when you trade for a highly nebulous asset. You're like an advantage player, say Phil Ivey, who is simply opting to play roulette rather than playing poker or blackjack with a card counter. It makes no sense. (laughs) This show and playerprofiler.com give you a card counter, and yet you're opting not to play the game where you have an information advantage and rather go out and just play random ball. Because... We can't really help you with Dion Lewis. We don't know where he's going to end up, and it's likely he won't land in a situation as good as the Patriots offered. 100%, yes. So it's impossible to properly value Dion Lewis. By acquiring him, you're ceding the advantage to your competitors. Why do that? Why do that? Only trade for assets where their situation has certainty with solidified situations heading into 2018. That way you can go to a resource like a playerprofiler.com and feel more informed than your league mates about that player and therefore have an advantage. No matter what you may think you know about Deion Lewis, and yes, he's the most elusive running back in the NFL the last couple seasons, the highest juke rate in the playerprofiler.com database. That's not going to matter if he ends up on the Jets. So here's my thing, too, with free agents. Most of the time, we have we look at the history of free agents. What is the percentage chance that that free agent replicates or increases their fantasy value when they move on to their second team? I mean, it's, what, probably under 10%? It's not common at all. More likely than not, they'll lose value. Exactly. You see this over and over and over again. Yes, a Rex Burkhead can be freed. A Chris Hogan can be freed, but these are the outliers. Sure, there's hundreds of guys that change teams every single year and lose value. So, uh, to me, there's no way I'm taking on any of these risks. Like, it, there's no scenario that I see Jarvis Landry leaving uh, Miami and getting himself into a better situation unless he goes to New England. Correct? That's probably the only spot where he can go to and improve his dynasty value. So, there's no way I'm trading for that player. No. I'm glad you mentioned Jarvis Landry because he is the last player I would ever consider acquiring in a dynasty league based on his yards per target being well outside the top 50 the last four years and the uncertainty of his future situation. I mean, that's how you can identify the mark in your league. Is he going out and acquiring Jarvis Landry? If so, you should start proposing trade to that person because that person doesn't know what the hell they're doing. They're chasing last year's stats. That's all they're doing. And it's all about limiting risk. And the reason why you need to limit your risk in Dynasty Leagues as opposed to redraft leagues, for example, is because in Dynasty, we own these players for life. There's a lot more at stake with Dynasty trades than there are redraft trades. Just like there's a lot more at stake with the Dynasty rookie draft than there are seasonal drafts. 
This is something that's lost on many dynasty leaguers who are out there making these wildly speculative acquisitions that I would never dream of making. And yet they're doing it. They're just flippantly flipping assets that are difficult to evaluate in the moment. And it's why I do not draft wide receivers in the first couple rounds of Dynasty Rookie Drafts. Unless we're talking about the 2014 class or an Amari Cooper or Corey Davis level prospect inexplicably dropping. Otherwise, no. Because you need to limit your risk and focus on high floor players in rookie drafts because you're signing these players to lifetime contracts. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about last year. John Ross, Corey Davis, Mike Williams, those were your first-round wide receivers, Marcus. And at this point, those three receivers couldn't get you Alvin Kamara, couldn't get you Kareem Hunt, who were running backs drafted in the second and third round and were often drafted after those three receivers in Dynasty Rookie Drafts. So that perfectly exemplifies why landing spot is often more important than draft capital. And the running back should have a significant premium in rookie drafts because the running back tends to produce earlier in their career and they're more landing spot dependent. So once we know, so after the draft, we know where running backs will be going. We'll be able to evaluate their situations and project their opportunity share with significantly more certainty the following season than any wide receiver even a Corey Davis it was very difficult to project his target share it was much more straightforward to project the opportunity share of a Leonard Fournette of a Dalvin Cook of a Christian McCaffrey and as it turns out of an Alvin Kamara and a Kareem Hunt as well but I posted these hypothetical trades on Twitter. Corey Davis, Mike Williams, John Ross for Kareem Hunt. That came back. You'll not believe this. You're not going to believe this. 57% took the Kareem Hunt side. 43% took the basket of wide receivers. I mean, uh, what? What? You're also getting the roster space. Don't forget the Kareem Hunt side also gets two additional roster spots that they can sign anybody from Ryan Switzer to Austin Carr, doesn't matter. Some slot receiver down on the depth chart that could easily become a target hog in any given season. Those guys are also, by default, part of that deal, and yet still, you have 43% picking the wide receiver basket instead of Kareem Hunt, and you have 22% in the other poll picking the wide receiver basket over Alvin Kamara! Yeah, I don't understand that one at all. Crazy. It is crazy. I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy. They've lost their minds. They're chasing draft capital. They're still chasing last year's draft capital. These dynasty drones. When are they going to learn? When are they going to figure out that the 2014 wide receiver class ain't coming back anytime soon? They keep trading for wide receivers as if they're trading for Odell Beckham Jr. and Mike Evans. Those wide receivers aren't walking through that door. And they certainly didn't walk through that door last year. Sorry, go ahead. My question for the trade is, was this posted before or after the news of Kareem Hunt's allegation, his domestic violence allegation? It was posted today. So people knew. And maybe that's what's scaring some people away from Kareem Hunt is. Oh, give me a break. Kareem Hunt had a top 10 dominator rating last year. Top 10 opportunity share. He had a higher opportunity share than even Alvin Kamara. What are you talking about? And their offense projects to get even better with Patrick Mahomes. I agree. I mean, what? 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 People are probably afraid of what happened to Ezekiel Elliott last year. 
I don't agree with it. I I listen. If you're going to give me cream hunt for those three average receivers, actually average is too nice of a word. Bad receivers. Well, Corey Davis is very good. I think we can agree that Corey Davis is a bright future in the NFL. I just don't know if it'll happen in 2018 or 2019 or 2020. I know for a fact yeah. that Alvin Kamara and Kareem Hunt will be top 10 running backs if healthy next season. And that's all you need to know. I agree. You don't think Corey Davis is just a guy, right? You didn't say that. You don't really think that. <sighs> Not as a talent, but I don't think he's as elite as everybody. What happened? I mean, Marcus, what are, you, what are you doing? Here's the thing. What's his ceiling as a dynasty receiver? Because to me, it's probably always as a wide receiver, too. I don't see him putting up wide receiver one numbers in any year. Um I don't believe that his quarterback is able to do that either. So that's, it's kind of the combination of the two. I think he's a pretty good player, but I just don't see it happening for him in Tennessee anytime soon. It's a run oriented offense. And in a run oriented offense, it's very difficult for any wide receiver to sustain weekly wide receiver one production. Just ask Des Bryant. Yes, exactly. I mean, no one thinks Des Bryant's not talented. Des Bryant is on a run first offense. And when you're trapped on a run-first offense, you're going to be volatile week to week, and you're just not going to be a stable producer and sustain that WR1 production. We don't have Corey Davis inside our top 12 dynasty receivers. No, we don't. But it's easy to see him moving into the top 12 with a productive sophomore season. And you have to assume, with just some basic logic, that there will be a positive reversion to the mean for Marcus Mariota that his touchdown rate will improve next year, that his efficiency will improve, and he'll look more like 2016 Marcus Mariota in 2018 as opposed to last year's version, which is a version none of us recognize. You agree with that, right? Like, it's easy to make a case for Mariota and Corey Davis in 2018, but this idea that Corey Davis will produce at a level that's anywhere close to Kareem Hunt and Alvin Kamara is pie in the fucking sky. And I agree with that. It comes down to what, how much of the talent you believe in with Corey Davis. I think he was overrated last year throughout the draft process. And I think Mariota's passing ability was overrated um, in his first couple of years in the NFL. So I don't believe it's particularly close. Um, I'm taking Hunt and Kamara every day of the week. I love Corey Davis, but I'm not going to have take lock on Corey Davis after he underwhelmed in his rookie season. His rookie season absolutely matters. The play calling and the inefficiency were both red flags for Corey Davis, and therefore he's not a top 12 dynasty receiver. Meanwhile, both Kareem Hunt and Alvin Kamara are well inside the top 10 dynasty running backs. Case closed. I agree. Case closed. And that's it. It's a very simple case. The gavel's coming down, and it's case closed. It's just court is adjourned, Marcus. So let's talk about wide receivers today, because that's what everyone is tuned in. Let's do it. To listen to us riff about top wide receivers in this 2018 class, because even though I won't be drafting wide receiver in the first couple rounds because they're too risky and their roles are too uncertain heading into their rookie year compared to the running backs that will be available in the first two rounds of rookie drafts this season. I just saw some rookie mocks on Twitter where both John Kelly and Mark Walton were projected to be drafted in the mid-second round. So if John Kelly and Mark Walton are going in the mid-second round, I have no interest whatsoever in the wide receivers until those particular running backs are off the board because those are two very exciting running backs, right? You like Mark Walton and John Kelly? 
You have to. They're okay, but to me, those are guys that are going to be drafted probably you're like in the fourth or fifth round of the actual NFL draft, and that scares me a little bit. No, 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 no. It does. First of all, the tape grinders love John Kelly. They do. So John Kelly's going to go in the third round because I'm sure NFL scouts are seeing what the tape grinders are seeing, that John Kelly loves running to contact and bowling over defenders, and that is going to wow the NFL scouts. So we know John Kelly's going to go in the third round. Mark Walton is going to wow at the combine. I think they'll both be third round picks for different reasons, but they're not falling to the fourth or fifth round. This is not a Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams situation. No, 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 no. Not those running backs. No, 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 no. See, I disagree. I I think Walton's a guy that once he comes to the combine and performs, teams are absolutely going to fall in love with him. Yeah. Wow factor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. His Miami teammates speak so highly of his athletic ability and the receiving skills. I mean, He looks like Ronald Jones with better hands. Yeah, and I can see that. That's a guy that I think will go probably late third, early fourth round because of his upside. But see, for me, I'm looking at this running back class, and I think you have probably eight guys ahead of him. So do you expect 10 running backs to go in the top 100? Yeah, I think the NFL is going all in on running back this year. After Okay. In this way, the NFL and fantasy gamers are in lockstep where the front offices have decided, oh, we need to change your identity and invest in running back, just like the Jaguars, just like the Cowboys. I think the sensibilities in the NFL are changing, and you're seeing now the increased target share to running backs. So those forces are converging where you have the perceived success of the Leonard Fournettes and the Ezekiel Elliotts and the Todd Gurleys, the recent high-round draft capital running backs in the last few years, combined with this new emphasis on targeting the running backs in the passing game, more teams are going to be looking for running backs that have that Alvin Kamara skill set, and they're just going to go right back to the school where Alvin Kamara came from. They're going to go to Tennessee. They're going to see a satellite back who's an incredible pass catcher who approaches defenders in the open field the same way Alvin Kamara does, and an affinity will develop for John Kelly throughout the pre-draft process. You don't see this coming, Marcus? I can see this coming a mile away. I'm not even a big John Kelly fan, but I believe that his draft stock is going to continue to rise through late April. He's a tough one because I, I do see the talent, but I just don't see him cracking the top 10 drafted running backs in this class. Uh, I know NFL teams are concerned about his running ability, especially out of 11 and 12 personnel. Um, I, he, he's going to be a tough one. I think the combine is going to be important uh, for his medical and interview stuff. To me, I still think this is a guy that probably ends up in the fourth, fifth, sixth round. Ooh. Once we get outside the top 100, it's anybody's guess as to where these guys fall. But I just have a hard time envisioning him as a top 100 pick. So maybe it's not John Kelly. Maybe John Kelly falls to the fifth round and he's not the guy that I'm drafting in the first and second round over any of the available receivers. There will be running backs that I'll be focused on in the first and second round. It's just at this moment in the process, I'm thinking that a Mark Walden and a John Kelly will be available to me in the second round and I'll be interested in them. Maybe it'll be someone else. Kalen Balazs. Could be Royce Freeman. Could be Kalen Balazs. I don't know who it's going to be. Where they end up being drafted will matter significantly. Yes. Right? Because we want to see where they end up landing, and that'll help me make my decision. That's what solidified my decision to draft Alvin Kamara in the late first round. Landing on New Orleans was everything for Alvin Kamara. We would all agree with that. 
So because I have the advantage of knowing where these running backs are going to get drafted and knowing that these running backs that are drafted early or drafted onto offenses that score a lot of points, whether it's Jamal Williams or Aaron Jones last year, just the generic running back drafted has a much higher floor, especially in the first few years, maintaining their dynasty value than wide receiver X, right? So I'd much rather go with running back X than wide receiver X. And so for that reason, I very rarely draft wide receivers in the first couple rounds. However, I do typically draft wide receivers in the third and fourth rounds. And what's interesting about this wide receiver class is in the last few years, I've been targeting the slot receivers because I think the slot receivers are the best value in the later rounds of rookie drafts. They develop faster and secure meaningful roles on offense sooner than the outside receivers. And the beauty is they're typically available later in rookie drafts. This is the Cooper Cup corollary. And for that reason, I love this particular draft class because it's stockpiled with exceptional slot receivers. And I'm hoping to get a couple of them in the third and fourth round. One guy that will not be available in the third and fourth round because we love him too much on this show and so many Dynasty Leaguers listen to this show is DJ Moore. DJ Moore is my number one wide receiver. And the reason why is because age-adjusted college production matters. DJ Moore was an epic college producer. And even though he doesn't have comps, right? He doesn't have comps because... He has a running back build. We don't have wide receivers that are six foot, 200 pounds. They just don't exist. There was one. His name was Ty Montgomery, and he switched to running back. So we don't have anybody that looks like DJ Moore. Certainly no one that looks like DJ Moore is as compact and strong as DJ Moore was as productive at the college level, especially on a relative basis using dominator rating as DJ Moore. But holy shit, was he productive on an offense that wasn't particularly prolific. So for that reason, I think DJ Moore is the safest bet in this draft, and he's the guy I'm pushing the button on because I care more about limiting risk than anything else. And if you want to limit risk in this draft, go DJ Moore. And let me add a little bit more to that uh, DJ Moore evaluation. So his dominant rating is one of the best in the class. Um, but what that also doesn't take into account is how bad his quarterback play was this year. Awful. Over the last two years, he's had eight different quarterbacks throw him passes, which is just absolutely insane. At one point this year, they had a <laughs> a walk-on wide receiver who moved to quarterback late in the process, throwing him passes. Uh, the most yards that they ever threw for in a game this year was 255 yards. Their passing game was dreadful. dreadful. I mean, it was absolutely terrible, and yet he was still the best player on the field by far. Do you know which wide receiver had the most under-the-radar, excellent dominator rating the last five years? Can you guess? Give it to me. Devin Funchess. Who did Devin Funchess have at quarterback at Michigan? Devin Gardner and... Running backs. Running backs. Denard Robinson. Running back. Running backs were throwing the ball to Devin Funchess during his time at Michigan, which is why his counting stats were unimpressive, yet his dominator rating was in the 80th percentile. Devin Funchess and DJ Moore are why dominator rating exists. Yes. It's why the metric was created to illuminate these players. And I think what's going to be what teams are going to love about DJ Moore is his versatility. I think he can play on the outside. I think he can be a Z receiver. Really? So he's not just a slot guy. 
Oh, absolutely not. I think most teams will look at him as a Z receiver. Now, I went back and charted all of his snaps this year, and 89% of them came as an X receiver this year. So he is absolutely used to playing on the outside. He's used to getting off of press coverage. But what I love about him is that he also has that versatility and that quickness to come down and play in the slot if you need him to. Um, and that's what I think he can do as a rookie if he gets drafted into a situation um, you know, where he's the third receiver. Maybe he gets drafted by Cleveland in the second round. He can be their slot receiver right away, mm. push Corey Coleman to the outside. He's similar to Chris Godwin in this way in that I think this year, absolutely, 2018, Chris Godwin will play slot for the Buccaneers and then move outside once Deshaun Jackson leaves in 2019. Absolutely. It's a natural progression that you start inside, and then it's nice to know that DJ Moore has the skills to also succeed outside eventually. Well, think about Juju did the same thing in Pittsburgh this year. He started off as a slot receiver, and as the year went on, that's right. he became more of their outside receiver, and I think long-term, he's probably going to be, uh, he, I'm sure he's going to be out Martavis sooner rather than later and be one of the Steelers' best uh, outside receivers. Oh, we love Juju Smith-Schuster on this show. And on PlayerProfiler.com, Juju Smith-Schuster is in our top 12 dynasty rankings ahead of Corey Davis. Oh, that one's easy to me. What about DJ Moore's stature, though? What do you make of a player that we don't have comps for? We've never seen a player that's that compact with that high of a BMI at the wide receiver position. I get nervous, Marcus, if I can't comp a player. This is why I was nervous about Ty Montgomery coming out of Stanford. And sure enough, he he converted to running back. Soothe me, Marcus. Convince me that he won't be converted to running back in two years. He's not going to be converted to running back because he's just so good as a receiver. Um, here's the thing about more that I like a lot. is you think about where the NFL is going, it, we're not into this NFL anymore where it's just, you know throwing the ball down the sideline, chucking the ball deep anymore. We are now in an NFL where teams utilize the short passing game. Um, and it's all about being able to make plays after the catch. And with DJ Moore, not only does he have the quickness, and I think he has the speed to make plays after the catch, he also has the lower body strength that it makes him hard to tackle. We saw over and over this year, um, you get him in space, he breaks through arm tackles uh, pretty frequently. I think that's the perfect type of receiver for today's NFL. Now, I know it's not a perfect comparison, um, but a guy like Golden Tate, who is a little bit shorter, plays on the outside, can play in a slot, that type of receiver is going to become in vogue here in the NFL in the next several years. I want to comp him to Golden Tate, but he's 15 pounds heavier than Golden Tate. This is one of the rare instances where I'm cheering for the wide receiver to weigh in lighter than he's listed on College Football Reference, for example. Very rare case, but I'm actually cheering for DJ Moore to lose weight. Shocking, but it's true. Here's the funny thing. We have scouts that were at Maryland this year and said, I want to comp him to Golden Tate so bad. There were scouts at Maryland this year that had him around 220, 225. So he, <laughs> there's a chance he comes in bigger than what his listed weight it's is. Crazy. Which I, I, I think that's going to scare off people. I don't think it's going to scare off NFL teams because he can run routes. He can, uh, he can play on the outside in the slide. I, I, I just don't envision not too quote unquote bulky. I don't worry about his size at the next level. You love DJ Moore, but he's not your number one receiver. Your number one receiver is Calvin Ridley. Why do you love Calvin Ridley? And I think that's a guy that, 
you know, we'll say draft Twitter or tape Twitter and dynasty or analytics uh, Twitter is debating a lot about because his numbers aren't great. Uh, I know people care about the age and I uh, listen, I am one of the biggest proponents of uh, age matters in terms of receivers. Um, and I went into watching Calvin Ridley's film this offseason with kind of a bad taste in my mouth because I knew what the metrics said and I knew uh, his age. But when I turned on the tape and I watched him, this is a guy that could have put up 200 yards every single game he played in. He dominates. He is just one of the best route runners I've ever seen come out of school. Um, and his quarterback, again, uh, Jalen Hurts, really, really struggled this year as a passer. He's not a, he's not a quarterback. Calvin Ridley needs to call Devin Funches. <laughs> Devin Funches needs to create a support group for college wide receivers not tethered to actual quarterbacks until the second half of the national championship game. Right. And here's the thing with Ridley. I think quarterbacks are going to absolutely love him at the next level because of his ability to separate. Now, he's not going to test out like an elite athlete. Um, he doesn't have elite size. I think he's probably going to come in at 6'1", 190, 195. This is a problem, dude. I know it is. This is a problem. <sighs> he's just so good at getting open. Um, as and Listen, he can play the slot, too. And again, like we talked about with DJ Moore, that's a valuable trait to be able to play the slot and play the outside. Because regardless of his situation or where he's drafted, I think he's going to be able to succeed because of his route running ability. So, you know, I, I would love to see him in a spot where he's going to get fed targets. I, listen, I've been saying the whole time, I think Baltimore is a great spot for him. I think he matches Joe Flacco's skill set well. I, I think that's a spot where he could absolutely get fed as a rookie. Um, I, I just think his overall talent and tape is so good that he has to be the number one receiver drafted uh, in the actual NFL draft. When you're looking at Calvin Ridley, do not look at his sophomore or junior season. Just zero rated on that freshman season. 89 receptions, 1,045 yards, seven touchdowns as a freshman. That's what matters. Don't worry about the 2016 and 2017 season. He was very late in getting to college. Whatever happened to him in high school that delayed his eventual matriculation to Alabama, forget it. You don't know what happens in these guys' lives, why they end up at JUCO, or why it takes them an elongated period of time to get to college. What matters is how quickly they're able to turn it on and become super productive at the college level. And the moment Calvin Ridley stepped on the field at Alabama, at Alabama, which is an athlete factory, he's able to secure 89 receptions and over 1,000 yards as a freshman. He demands your respect for that freshman season. Everything else is gravy on the Calvin Ridley profile. That's why we still have Calvin Ridley in our top 10, even though there's not a lot to like on his profile, Marcus. From an analytical standpoint, without the appreciation of route running, there's just not a lot to like on this profile. The dominator rating is average, 50th percentile. The breakout age, 20.7. That's how old he was as a freshman, a 20-year-old freshman. He wasn't allowed to play his senior year of high school because he was too old. Whatever happened to this guy, man? I don't know. I mean, maybe he was maybe he was kidnapped by wizards or something. And he was at Hogwarts for an extra couple of years because he had to help Hagrid raise dragons. I don't fucking care what he was doing. The moment he landed on an Alabama practice field, the people at Alabama 
I guess it was Lane Kiffin at the time, knew that they had something special. And if the Alabama coaches believe they have something special, then he's something special. And that's just what he is. He's something special. He's a top 10 receiver. Even though nothing about him is special, he's special. It's the ultimate conundrum in that he has average size, average production. He is the quintessential average receiver. He essentially looks like the Paul Perkins of wide receivers. We talk about how Paul Perkins is missionary sex is the quintessential average running back. If you think about who in the history of the position is the ultimate replacement level player, it would be Paul Perkins, right? Paul Perkins is the 53-man roster. He's right there, defines the 53-man roster threshold. Well, that's essentially what Calvin Ridley looks like when you compare him to past wide receivers, but you put his production in context, You have to put his production in context, and therefore he has to be a top 10 receiver. He has to be ahead of a lot of receivers that were more productive at an earlier age at non-Alabama schools. If he landed on one of these air raid offenses in college and he was putting up 1,800 yards a year, we would feel very differently about him. And because of that, I'm giving him some benefit of the doubt. But you're still insane for putting him at number one. (laughs) So you say all these good things about Calvin Ridley, and then you say, I'm insane. That's right. I like you, man. That's how I do it when I like you. It's 90-10 positive attributes before I drop the hammer with that final 10% of my take where I go negative. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. An analyst solely focused on analytics can't look themselves in the mirror and have Calvin Ridley in their top five. They just can't. And I won't. It's the same thing with Laquan Treadwell a couple of years ago. I didn't see it with Laquan Treadwell. And a big part of that was the combine. If you're telling me that Calvin Ridley's not an athlete, then I get really scared. Then I start worrying about a Laquan Treadwell situation. Let me rephrase that. I don't think he's going to explode at the combine. Can he run a 4-4-7? I think that's very realistic. I don't expect him to be this guy that just puts on a show. But I think he's going to be, you know, a 65th percentile athlete just kind of average. I'm a fan of Calvin Ridley. What I think we need to hope for collectively is that he can be a Sterling Shepard. I think that's really what he is. Sterling Shepard produced at a later age at Oklahoma. He was an average athlete with some explosiveness. And then he went to a situation where he could command volume in a slot flanker role. I think that that's what we need to hope for from Calvin Ridley. And more than anything, it illustrates the weakness of this wide receiver class. Nothing against Calvin Ridley. It's just the fact that we're even talking about him at this place, at this point in the rankings, illustrates how weak the class is. I don't want to be talking about Calvin Ridley at this point in the process any more than you do, but that's how weak this class is. That there are no standout wide receivers. That we're already talking about a Calvin Ridley and rationalizing away his shortcomings. This is why I'm not drafting wide receiver in the first two rounds. It's this exact conversation that worries me. And we could talk about Cortland Sutton too, because Cortland Sutton, for a lot of people, is the bigger, more explosive version of Calvin Ridley. And I do gravitate toward the Cortland Sutton profile because of the projected size-adjusted athleticism, even though his dominator rating isn't as high as a lot of other receivers because he was actually outproduced last year by Trey Quinn. But the way I structure my rankings is, number one, give me the highest floor guy, the safest guy. But then at number two, want to chase a guy's ceiling, want to go for upside, that's Cortland Sutton. You would agree. Cortland Sutton oozes upside. You would at least agree with that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And he is my number five uh, wide receiver right now. And listen, this guy has absolutely every tool that you could ask for. I think he's going to come in at about six foot four, 220 pounds. <laughs> this is what we like. The speed worries me a little bit. I'm, I'm curious to see what's he going to run. Uh, I've been told like late four fives is kind of the it's where he's at right now. Um, he would like to oh, get that no. down around the four five two. Yeah. And that makes me nervous because if you're that big and you don't have the speed, I'm concerned that you're not going to be able to create separation at the next level, which means you're going to have to make a bunch of plays in contested areas. Now, Oh, oh, were we just talking about Laquan Treadwell? Because you just described Laquan Treadwell. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 please, no. I think that's going to be the comp once we get past the the draft. Now, he's got more size than Treadwell. He's got quite a bit more size. I think Treble came out in at, what, 6'2", 215 or so. I see a more explosive player with Sutton. I don't see the route runner that Treble was coming out of school. So, Oh, no. This is going to be an interesting one for me. I think a ton of upside. So it's a Franken comp between Laquan Treadwell and Kelvin Benjamin. That's what Cortland Sutton is? Really? 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 I, no, let's, let me rephrase that. Let's go Treadwell and Jeffrey, somewhere between the two of them. Now, see, he's not the athlete Jeffrey is, no. but I think he's got that body control that Alshon had. Okay, 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 I guess. This is depressing. I'm already depressed. We're still in our top five. I can't believe that we're in our top five water savers. And it's so depressing where we're at already. You better get better, man. We got to start building some enthusiasm around this whole movement toward the slot receiver by NFL teams. And start getting excited about the slot receivers that are coming on our rankings because... I was expecting you to be higher on Cortland Sutton. This is a bummer, dude. I wasn't thrilled with his tape at all. He got pushed around by smaller corners, too. And What? He didn't make very many plays down the field. I know. This is one of the things. I don't, I don't think he knows how to use his athleticism yet. And I don't think he has the speed to be this big, freakish wide receiver that makes plays down the field like a Martavis Bryant. I don't think he has that kind of ceiling. I think he's always going to be kind of a limited outside receiver that makes plays in the red zone. Not a guy that makes a bunch of plays after the catch. I don't think the NFL is absolutely going to love him. I think this is a guy that probably goes late first round, early second round. This guy sounds like a wide receiver perfectly suited for 1998. The North Turner offense. This is bad. I know. Hey, North Turner's back in the league. Hey, maybe that makes sense. His dominator rating was good, not great, 36.9%, not in that 80th percentile where we'd like it. The breakout age, 19.9 at SMU, that's 66th percentile, good, not great. This is where Laquan Treadwell was checking in, in these metrics. Mm-hmm. And again, Treadwell played in the SEC against some pretty doggone good corners there, so we don't even have... We don't even have the competition to go back on to a Sutton. You're telling me Cortland Sutton's going to run a four six five? No, I think, I think like four five eight is probably where he's <laughs> probably going to land. Could he just opt out of the forty at the combine and run it at his pro day? That's what he's going to do, right? He's going to pull a Treadwell and do that. Yeah, I, that won't surprise me at all. They got a pretty fast track at SMU. Going to walk around the combine wearing headphones, not doing any of the drills. That's what's going to happen. Oh, this guy, this Cortland Sutton. I know you, Cortland Sutton. I know you. I've seen your likes for years in the NFL draft. 
in the pre-draft process, Mr. Sutton. I know you and your type, and I want nothing to do with you in my dynasty rookie drafts, Mr. Sutton. Go ahead, Marcus. Sorry. For the first time in my history, I had a full-blown loogie on the spit guard there. First time ever in Roto Underworld Radio or Sonic Truth history. Mr. Sutton. That proves that you're into this, that you care about it. You can get a loogie. I'm changing my rankings. He's moving down the rankings. I I had him up there because I thought he was going to be this size speed specimen. That's not even true. Not him. That's not even him. No, it's not. I'm such a sucker. Changing these rankings, throwing them out. Number three, James Washington, right? You like James Washington. You have him at six. I have James Washington at three. We like James Washington, right? James Washington is a downfield playmaker, period. Yeah, James Washington is a guy that I think I may move up in this process because First of all, he went to the Senior Bowl and absolutely showed out. Yeah, he he was a guy that I was nervous about because of his route running. Um, Super productive uh, the last two years at Oklahoma State. Very productive. I love his game as a down-the-field receiver. Probably the strongest hands, wrists, and fingers I've ever seen from a player. Like Once that ball touches his hands, it's not going anywhere. You don't have to worry about uh, double catches and silly drops. It's just not going to happen with James Washington. James Washington breakup age if you're a breakout age connoisseur james washington's breakout age 18.4 he is a precocious college prospect you have to have dj moore and james washington one two you can go washington more you can go more washington you go washington because of the breakout age you go more because of the dominator if you like analytics you love washington and you love more and then there's a significant gap to the next player, and it's not Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton's going down the rankings. Cortland Sutton has an anchor attached to his ankle, and he's just dropping down my rankings. I'm embarrassed that I had Cortland Sutton so high. Never again. Never again will I be fooled. I'll be fooled every year. If Cortland Sutton comes out and has one of these shocking uh, combines where he runs a four four seven, not going to happen. We'll move that back up. I'll move it back up, but that's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I can already tell you. You're so confident, and you have tomorrow's newspaper on their athleticism. So I, I believe you. I'm just a little nervous there, but let's get back to Washington. The one thing that makes me nervous is I'm worried that teams are going to miscast him as this underneath receiver when that's not his game at all. No, Will Fuller role. Yeah, that's really what he is. He's the he is the next in the line of Will Fuller. However, he is a lot more consistent with his hands than Fuller. This is a guy that has the ability to make plays down the field, but he also has the talent to make plays after the catch. You can run slants and digs and post routes with him and expect him to make plays after the catch. Um, What makes me nervous is at the Senior Bowl, he struggled against press coverage, and to me, I'm going to be really curious about where he goes, and his fit is going to be really important. Has he seen much press coverage in the Big 12? Is that why? No. He doesn't have a lot of experience with it, that's all. Right. So it makes me a little nervous that if he goes to a team that doesn't try to scheme him open or get him into spots that are going to utilize his talent— but this is a guy that absolutely can come into the NFL right now and produce. Even in his first couple of years, if he's just a deep threat, he can do that job well. Um, and I expect him to grow as a receiver. Uh, he's just a really good kid. Coaches are going to absolutely love him once they sit down with him. Uh, James Washington is a fantastic player. Not a guy that I think is going to go in the first round of the NFL draft. 
but I think a guy that probably goes in the top 40 picks. Well, it just depends on how he runs at the combine. James Washington is very 40-time dependent like Will Fuller. Will Fuller blazed at the combine, went in the first round. James Washington blazes at the combine, he'll go in the first round. Doesn't blaze at the combine, he'll go in the second or third round. It's that easy. James Washington is very simple. And his production was more impressive at a second glance because he shared a field with another NFL draft prospect. So this is the Odell Beckham corollary. Mm -hmm. When you're sharing a college football field with another NFL caliber player, you have to put a premium on that player's college dominator and or skew your focus toward their breakout age. In either case, James Washington is a phenomenal prospect. Talk about that passing game in Oklahoma State. Yeah, so it was an interesting passing game, to say the least, because a lot of it was down the field passing. And it's just not something that we're used to seeing, especially in the Big 12. We're used to seeing bubble screen after bubble screen after bubble screen and then maybe a deep shot. But that's not what happened at Oklahoma. This was a down the field passing offense. Um, and it didn't matter what cornerback uh, teams try to put on James Washington. He played well. My favorite game of his was against uh, Chidobe Wouzier from Colorado in 2016. Absolutely torched him for, I believe, 200 yards and two touchdowns. Um, so we've seen him play against some of the best corners in football and handle them with ease. So I don't have any concerns about Washington uh, being a big-time player in the NFL. So what about Marcel Aitman? Should we also boost Marcel Aitman because he shared a field with James Washington? I don't love Aitman's tape. I, I, I think he's kind of a plotter. Um, I think that's a guy that's probably going to go in the third or fourth round um, in the NFL draft. I, I kind of just think he's a guy. At the number three spot, you have a guy I also like, Anthony Miller. We're both very high on Miller. You have him at three. What do you love about Anthony Miller? Nobody can cover him, and that's a pretty big deal if you're if you're a wide receiver. <laughs> yes. In full disclosure, if Anthony Miller comes to the combine and his foot tests out that he's okay, because that's the whole reason he didn't go to the Senior Bowl. He has a foot injury. If the doctors clear him from his foot injury, he might be my number one receiver in this class. Because he's that talented. There was just nobody that can cover him all year. He played the slot. He played in the outside. He dominated every single game. He performed well against first-round corners. Um, There's nothing not to love about Anthony Miller's game. You're serious. 100%. Prototypical slot receiver Anthony Miller could be your number one. Again, this speaks to the state of the wide receiver position. This speaks to how NFL teams are using wide receivers now, funneling targets to slot receivers, and the overall weakness of this draft class. That a 23-year-old from Memphis would be number one on someone's board. He's just really good. I mean, listen, again, this was another guy that I went into watching his tape with with kind of the bad taste in my mouth because I saw the metrics. I saw his age. And, man, this is as impressive as a tape as I've ever seen. There's just nothing he doesn't do well. He's so good. Marcus, he's so good. That 40% dominator rating was not just from one season, but it's multiple seasons. When you can post a 40% dominator rating across multiple seasons, you have my attention. That's why he's in my top five. He has to be. My only question is, do NFL teams appreciate him? Yes. Their only concern is about that foot. I believe he he had a Liz Frank injury. Oh, no. That makes teams nervous. Oh, it makes me nervous. Are you kidding? 
Fuck NFL teams. It makes me nervous, terrified. There's rumors that he's not going to do anything at the combine, and that makes me really nervous. And that's the only reason he's sitting at three right now. Because if he goes to the combine and just has an average performance, he would be at the top of my list. So this is a Corey Davis situation. This is what if Corey Davis was a slot receiver? Yes. We'll see. I mean, I'm I'm hopeful that Miller is able to at least do something and maybe do something by his pro day. Um, if he doesn't do anything throughout the pre-draft process, then I'm worried because now what do we do with a receiver who has some injury history, who didn't do anything at the combine? That's probably going to fall a couple rounds in the draft. That makes me nervous. Even if Anthony Miller goes to the combine and he shows well, if James Washington is fast and James Washington ends up being Will Fuller with hands. Under no circumstances can Anthony Miller unseat James Washington in your rankings. That can't happen. If James Washington is fast, you you can't allow that to happen. And I'm fine with that. Washington is a really good, productive player in his own right. So I, I have no problem with that at all. We both also have Michael Gallup in our top five. We both love Michael Gallup. You think he'll be athletic when he tests at the combine? <laughs> Uh, athletic-ish. It's a fair question, right? He looks fast. He looks fast to me, but I can't tell, I guess. Yeah, athletic-ish. I, I, I don't think he's going to be a guy that runs like in the low four, four fours. Probably a high four four, low four five guy. Uh, but again, this is another guy that just does everything pretty well. He doesn't have one single trait about him uh, that's going to blow you away. He doesn't have great size. Welcome to the theme of this wide receiver class. Absolutely. You're, you're preaching it right there. Some nice overall ability, but not going to blow you away. Some nice overall ability, but not going to blow you away. Some nice overall ability, not going to blow you away. Yep. Some nice overall ability, not going to blow you away. I want to be blown away, Marcus. I'm waiting to be blown away. No one's blowing me away. There's nobody that we're going to get to on here that's going to blow you away. And it's sad because oh. we both love the wide receiver position, but this isn't your – uh, this isn't the the draft to be blown away. Now, you guys talked about running backs in the last podcast. This is a running back heavy draft. That's where you want to use your picks in this draft. Invest in the running back position because that's the strongest position. Absolutely. Now, inevitably, there's going to be a couple guys that break out here and that have decent seasons. Um, and I think Gallup has a chance because of how advanced he is as a route runner. <laughs> it's another guy that can play in the slot, play most of his time outside. Um, my comparison for him is Nelson Aguilar. Um Again, a solid receiver, not a guy that's going to ever be a number one fantasy receiver, but a guy on a real-life NFL team can be a valuable number two or number three receiver. 100 receptions last year, Marcus. Over the last two seasons, no one's been more productive than Michael Gallup. If you like college production, you have to love a guy with 176 receptions, 2,685 yards, and 21 touchdowns the last two seasons. We like to have a composite production profile, looking at the guy's best counting stats per season so if you take his best reception season 100 his best receiving yard season over 1400 yards his best touchdown season 14 touchdowns that's impressive there's really nothing to dislike about his game but there's nothing when you watch him on tape that that excites you i mean he's just a solid nfl player um a guy that'll probably be drafted somewhere at the bottom of the second round top of the third round <laughs> it's just that's it He'll be drafted somewhere. That's the analysis. Oh, Michael Gallup. He's pretty good. He's solid and he'll be drafted somewhere. Basically, if we were Nolan Noworski or whoever does the draft analysis for NFL.com, Lance Zerline's the new guy. If we're Lance Zerline, we just copy and paste that in for all these receivers. He could just 
mail it in in one night, have all his wide receiver analysis done. You're welcome, Lance Zerline. You're welcome. And as you say that, I'm, I'm looking at Lance's page for Michael Gallup, and you know who his NFL comparison is? Nelson Aguilar. You could do this. <laughs> it really is. Look at you. Wow. Yes. You're good at this, man. You and I agree a lot more than we disagree. We have consensus again on the next guy on the list, Christian Kirk. Now, Christian Kirk is a guy that you think could go to the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, begrudgingly. I don't love it, though. Uh, Again, listen, this is another slot receiver uh, in the NFL. This is a guy that does not have much experience playing on the outside. Now, I think he's going to be a pretty good athlete. I think this is he has a chance to run in the low four fours. Um, He has some decent size on him. I think he's going to come in about 5'11", 200 to 205 pounds. But... The problem with him is I don't see a very elite route runner. I see a guy that uh, wins in a lot of contested areas because he doesn't create much separation with his routes. Uh, my comparison before him was Tyler Boyd with jetpacks on his back because a guy that you probably don't want to play on the outside doesn't make a ton of big plays from the slot, probably is best suited as a kick punt returner, and he needs to be your third receiver in offense. I, I don't love his game. Kirk is always going to be limited to what uh, probably only a slot receiver in the NFL. And listen, his landing spot's going to matter because if he gets into a team that doesn't utilize a slot receiver as heavily as other teams, it's going to be a concern. Um, I, I, I at least think Sutton is a guy that teams are going to think he's a prototypical X receiver on the outside. I'm not moving uh, Sutton behind Kirk. I'll, I'll keep Sutton there. If Sutton runs in the four sixes, uh, then we can have a conversation about that. But right now, Sutton, I am having ahead of Kirk. Here's where our rankings truly diverge. I have Traquan Smith at eight. You don't have Traquan Smith listed at all. What did Traquan Smith do to you, man? In full disclosure, I haven't seen Traquan Smith yet. I haven't seen a lot of them. All I saw was like throughout the season stuff. Um, I listen throughout the year. I kind of thought he was just a guy. I, I think he has. I think he has some athleticism. Um, I, I just worry about his ability to beat the press. Um, decent size. I think he's going to come in at about six foot, two hundred and five pounds. Um, but. Listen, this is a guy that, from what I've heard around the league, not highly uh, sought after. Um, the the comparison that a lot of teams are using are, is Tajay Sharp. And I don't know what you think of Tajay Sharp, but to me, that's kind of just a guy on an NFL offense. But uh, tell me a little bit about, about why you love Traquan Smith. 1,171 yards, 13 touchdowns last year, so he was very productive. I am worried about this slight frame. We don't like the svelte wide receivers like the Tajay Sharp. Just like there are very few comps with the ultra-high BMI like DJ Moore, there are very few comps for the Tajay Sharp prototype that are 6'2", 190. You don't want to be 6'2", 190. So with Traquan Smith, I'm hoping he's either shorter than listed or heavier than listed. Similar to Taewon Taylor, I'm hoping that he's more 5'11", 200 that's much better, much, much better than 6'2", 195. Right. I mean, 6'2", 195 would be a death sentence for Traquan Smith. But at least if he's more compact, he can have a future as an NFL slot receiver. Also, last year, I mean, the efficiency was incredible. 19.8 yards per reception. So when this guy's targeted, he's getting downfield, he's securing passes with a deeper depth of target, and he's coming out early. So I also give him credit for being a junior. If he put up 1,100 yards as a senior, he wouldn't be in my top 10. But the fact that he's coming out early after a successful junior season, these are positive indicators. 
to me, he's a guy that I got to see at the combine before I have any hard stances on him because, I, again, I just thought his tape was average. But if he goes out and blows up the combine, then I think we need to go back and reevaluate his tape to see what what he can be in the NFL. Right now, he's a guy that I have outside of my top 18 receivers. He has the 33% 60th percentile dominator rating with the high college yards per reception and the early breakout age 19.2 point to Traquan Smith being a successful NFL receiver. And his quarterback was actually a running back, right? Yep. And we got a lot of those. So he's another receiver who you need to evaluate in the context of a quarterback who's not a traditional college thrower. So in that context, for Traquan Smith to still put up 1,171 yards, it's impressive. He had to do it by getting 20 yards per reception. That was the only way for him to do it, and he did it. So I'm impressed. See, I like your number seven receiver better. I like Trey Quinn. I just think he is a more polished slot receiver. And if I'm going to draft... I can't believe there's a guy named Trey Quinn and another guy named Trey Quan, and I have them back-to-back in the rankings. It goes Trey Quan, then Trey Quinn. I have Trey Quinn at six, then I have Trey Quan at seven. I like Trey Quinn better. This is very confusing, Trey Quinn versus Trey Quan. But the reason I like Trey Quinn is simple. He outproduced Cortland Sutton. I understand it's an air raid spread attack. But he was the most productive receiver in college football, and he has power conference pedigree transferring to SMU from LSU. So the moment he gets to LSU, Cortland Sutton goes, right, and immediately Cortland Sutton is regretting not declaring for the draft because he's competing for targets with Trey Quinn, who's actually really good. And it's easy to imagine Trey Quinn outproducing Cortland Sutton at the next level. I think Quinn is your perfect guy that teams are going to love to grab in the fourth or fifth round but you don't have him ranked what are you talking about but listen there's a lot of guys here after the top eight that i think i like their ceiling more um i i think i know what trey quinn is going to be at the next level um i i at this point but that's what i'm talking about man we knew what cooper cup was going to be at the next level but you want to invest in those players in rookie drafts because they retain their value from one year to the next instead of chasing the guys with a ceiling. Unlike Katie Cannon last year, who seemingly had a high ceiling because of his explosiveness, and then he's out of the league and all his value evaporates. That's the difference between investing in the high floor slot receiver instead of the upside outside guy. So here's the thing with me, though. Some of these receivers that we're going to get to, I think, have the comfort of being slot receivers if they have to be. Ah, the slot receiver ripcord. Yes, they can always pull the slot receiver ripcord in case of emergency. Which, but listen, that matters to teams because if you can play multiple positions, it's one less guy that you have to dress on game day, and it's a guy that you can have on the field regardless of injuries. Is this also why you don't have Auden Tate on your list because he doesn't have that slot receiver ripcord? No, I don't have Auden Tate in my top 12 because it looks like he has a sled attached to his back when he's trying to run routes. (laughs) Auden Tate. Him and Calvin Benjamin would be quite a race. I have Auden Tate who went to FSU and looks like Calvin Benjamin re-enrolled. Is that a good thing? No! You're like, oh, this guy's big and relatively productive in an awful offense. But now that you hate him, I am less excited. Tate's going to be a guy that runs about the same uh, speed as Calvin Benjamin, but he's probably 30 pounds lighter. And that makes me a little nervous. So basically what you're saying is 
Auden Tate's speed score could be in the fifth percentile. Yeah, probably. I, I think that's very likely. So Auden Tate's going to be a low BMI, low speed score, unproductive. Wait, he's going to get drafted? Uh, yeah, some people really like him. I know some people think he should go like in the second round. I That's not me. Calvin Benjamin went in the first round. <laughs> I mean, he is he is tall, right? I mean, he technically is tall, so that's something. To his credit, he plays tall. I mean, he 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 absolutely can make plays in contested areas. Uh, he has no problem going up and making plays in the air. It's just that speed and quickness that worries me. Because the Florida State offense, after Francois was injured, the offense was so anemic, maybe the most anemic offense in all of college football. Auden Tate posted a 37.4% dominate rating, 74th percentile, on 600 yards receiving. He's yet to crest 1,000 yards in his career. Let's home in on a wide receiver. You actually have some enthusiasm around. Let's talk about Deshaun Hamilton. Yeah, Deshaun's an interesting guy because uh, at Penn State, uh, he was clearly their best receiver, but he played in an offense uh, with a quarterback that was more concerned about running the ball than passing. No. They had Mike Gusecki, who ate up a lot of the targets in the passing game. But Deshaun Hamilton was a guy that went to the Shrine game, dominated the Shrine game, got the call up to the Senior Bowl, and you could argue that he was the best receiver at the Senior Bowl, even with James Washington and Michael Gallup there. Um, I think, again, Deshaun Hamilton is a guy that doesn't have great athleticism, doesn't have great size, but you could argue he is the best route runner in this class. I think this is a guy that's probably going to go in the third or fourth round. Won't be shocked if he plays a ton as a rookie um, again, another guy that can play in the slot, but probably best suited as a Z receiver. Just a lot to love about his actual NFL game rather than the numbers suggest because uh, of the quarterback play. You can make the same case for Equanimee as St. Brown last season, right? Because he's the next guy on both of our lists. Yeah, St. Brown's an interesting one because when he played with Deshaun Kaiser in his sophomore year, you thought this was the second coming of A.J. Green with the, his ability to move uh, at his size, a uh, fantastic quickness uh, for someone who is six foot four. But this year, uh, as a junior, he just looked disinterested. Um, I know the quarterback play had a lot to do with it. Um, he probably shouldn't have come out, but the talk was, uh, you know, early on in the year that he knew he was going to declare anyways. Um, so he was just kind of protecting himself uh, from injury. But this is a guy that I think has actual wide receiver one NFL potential. This is a guy that has the 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 size and the speed and the route running ability to become a star at the next level. But there's a lot of things he needs to clean up in his game before he can ever do that. Um, I think teams are going to be a little cautious of him because of how poorly he played this year and how disinterested he looked. But this is a guy that absolutely has a high ceiling. and I He was awful. He was terrible. But based on the Juju Smith corollary that you have to focus more on the player's best college season because that's what illuminates his NFL upside, you focus in on that sophomore season, 900 yards as a true sophomore, and nine touchdowns, 16.6 yards per reception. That's impressive. I think teams are going to like him a lot once they start working him out um, at their, you know, the, their 30 visits that they get before the draft. I have a feeling that's a guy that we're going to be talking about more in the top 50 discussion of the NFL draft once we get past the combine. Would it be crazy to move Equanimee of St. Brown ahead of Cortland Sutton? As my signature upside play? No, not at all. I think I think St. Brown's 
talent and quickness is more conducive to what we like to see out of our outside receivers in the NFL. All right, so at 10, that's where I have Calvin Ridley currently. You have Dante Pettis. What do you like about Dante Pettis? Pettis is another guy that was a fantastic special teams player at Washington, maybe the best one in the country. Um, I think he averaged 16.9 yards per punt return uh, as a sophomore. Is he related to Austin Pettis? No, not that I know of. Maybe he is. I will have to go back and look. But this is a guy that I think he's the next TJ Hushmanzada. And I say that in a positive way. This is a guy that is, if he's your number two receiver who can make plays down the field, can uh, make contested catches, he is not afraid of anything uh, he, he's a guy that will go across the middle. He will mix it up with other teams. Um, he was so much better last year when John Ross was playing with him. Um, and that does make me a little bit nervous because is he a guy that's only going to produce when he has uh, an exceptional receiver opposite of him? I'm not sure. But if I'm a team that already has a really good number one receiver, I'm fine taking Pettis in the third or fourth round, letting him do special team stuff and, and letting him find a role on my offense. Another theme of this class is... Wide receivers not impressing you with counting stats, but posting relatively high dominator ratings because of the abysmal quarterback play that we're seeing across college football. Again, Dante Pettis held back by poor quarterback play. 38.8% dominator rating last year, 77th percentile. Not bad. That's partly because we average his best college season, which was his junior season, with his final college season. That pushed up his dominator rating. Because as a junior, 15 touchdowns. So he was significantly better with John Ross on the field. And then the deterioration of the quarterback play time and time and time and time again is throttling the production of these wide receivers. It makes James Washington look like LeBron James. Yeah, there you go. Look at me. Look at the podfather doing podfather things, turning a phrase as usual. Not a lot of overlap here at the end. At 11, you have DJ Chark. Another DJ, not DJ Moore, DJ Chark. He was another guy at LSU that was held back because of his quarterback play. Oh, shocking. Shocking, Marcus. This is such a surprise that you would say that. Just 40 catches last year uh, with LSU, and that's concerning. However... This is one of the most explosive receivers that I've seen uh, come out of the draft in a long time. He's basically uh, Will Fuller without the college production. Uh, now, what? how do you value that is up to you. Um, I, this is a guy that we saw last month go to the Senior Bowl and absolutely put on a show. I think he had over 170 yards and two touchdowns. Um, just ate up their cornerbacks all week. Fantastic speed. He actually has a little bit more size than Fuller. He's at six foot three hundred and eighty-seven pounds. So maybe he's more uh, used like in that Martavis role, this big athletic guy that can run down the field. He's got a lot of things he needs to clean up in the underneath game, but he can help a team right away as a deep threat receiver. He is a one-dimensional deep threat with that low BMI. You cannot consistently beat man corners in the NFL at 6'3", 185. You have no leverage. Correct. So it's not a surprise to me that he's succeeding against senior corners, corners that weren't good enough to come out as juniors. It makes perfect sense that those would be the corners that DJ Chark, this sounds like a DJ name, DJ Shark. I mean, you can imagine going to a club and the guy that's spinning is DJ Shark or Chark or whatever. He's a good player. And I wouldn't be surprised if in five years, DJ Chark is an actual DJ, not an NFL player. With that low BMI and maxing out at three touchdowns per season 
at the college level. I mean, get out of here, Marcus. Get out of here. He's a good player. He, Go delete your senior bowl tape. No, I'm keeping it in there. He's a good receiver, man. I'm telling you. Go burn it. I'm telling you, this is a guy that will be able to make probably four to five big plays as a rookie. And we'll be having this conversation probably at this time next year saying, where did we get DJ Chark wrong? What did we miss about DJ Chark? And we'll, we'll come back to this and we'll we'll look at his yards per catch in college, which was 21.9. And we'll say, hey, listen, this he was a, he was a receiver that was in a bad situation um, and you know landed on a good team in the NFL and they figured out how to use him. I, I love DJ Chark. I'm keeping him in there. I might even move him up just to spite you. There was another LSU receiver that came out last year, and they said the same exact thing about him, and he went on to post zero receptions for zero yards and zero touchdowns in the NFL this season. Do you know his name? Was that Malachi Dupree or? Malachi Dupree. Malachi Dupree, a svelte wide receiver that did not have the requisite stability, right, the requisite leverage to, to succeed either outside or inside. I mean, these are players that don't have a, a position at the NFL level. It's one thing in these college offenses where you can be a one-dimensional outside receiver just running go routes, but you're asked to do a lot more at the NFL level. And and with a guy that doesn't have comps, I mean, we, we've never seen a, a wide receiver that stands 6'3 and weighs 185 pounds succeed at the NFL level. That body type, he would be a once-in-a-generation outlier if he succeeded at the NFL level with that body type. So that's one where I have to see it to believe it, Marcus. I truly believe he's going to be a top 75 pick in the draft. This is a guy that the NFL teams absolutely love. So we'll see a little bit more of him at the Combine. Just get ready to move him up your dynasty ranks the next time we have this show. If DJ Shark is drafted in the second or third round, I will chark my pants. You don't have Deion Kane ranked. Why don't you like Deion Kane? Because he's a guy for me that I have a lot of questions about because I, his production wasn't great this year. Uh, you didn't see uh, you didn't see him take a step up after Mike Williams left last year. Um, he's got a ton of penalties. He's a he's a raw route runner. I mean, I love his size. I, I I love the way he can make plays down the field. He just makes me nervous. This is a guy that I think could really benefit from two or three years sitting. Um, and not playing a lot and then seeing what happens down the road. But I think if he's forced into the lineup right away, I think you're going to be really disappointed with the player that he is because he's not ready to be an NFL receiver right now. He He's a ways away before he can actually produce. Why did he come out then? That's a great question. Why the hell did Deion Kane come out? I'd love to see Deion Kane go back for his senior year be a thousand yard plus receiver as a senior perform under the lights on big stages at the college level enhance his brand equity and potentially become a first round wide receiver you have the clemson brand equity use it stay in school for one more year and i'll make the case why he didn't because he saw that the the style of offense and the quarterback play that he's going to play with this year and decided, hey, another year of me waiting around and posting average to below average stats stats isn't going to help my draft stock. Um, he's better off to get out of that situation as quick as possible and develop in the NFL while he's getting paid. While he is getting paid, uh, because he wasn't going to put up numbers without Deshaun Watson there. I'm projecting him to be athletic, and he should be outside all these productive slot receivers. If I'm going to throw a dart on a guy, he might as well be a guy with some cachet a cool name and some athleticism and Dion Kane checks those boxes for me I'm not sorry if he comes out and shows out at the combine I'm sure his stock is going to rise I know a lot of people love him uh, around the NFL circles he's just not for me there's other guys I feel a lot more comfortable with 
such as James Washington, Christian Kirk, and Deshaun Hamilton. We'll see. You also prefer a player named Justin Watson. Who the hell is Justin Watson? Yeah, so Justin Watson is a receiver from Penn who went to the Shrine game, dominated the Shrine practices, got the invite to the Senior Bowl, put on a show at the Senior Bowl practices, uh, a productive player uh, in his time at Penn, three straight years of 1,000 yards, three straight years with at least eight uh, touchdowns, has some special teams ability, didn't show that always at Penn, uh, but he did show that at the Combine, or sorry, at the Senior Bowl and the East-West Shrine game. I dominated rating in the 98th percentile. Woo! Another guy that can come in and play the slot. However, I also think this is a guy that can play on the outside. He's six foot three, 215 pounds. Um, he dominated, again, some of these corners at the Senior Bowl. Um, I think he is a guy that compares very well to Cooper Cup. Um, I think that's going to be his role in the NFL as this oversized slot receiver that has fantastic hands, that has special teams ability, um, that was a productive, productive college player. You just described Adam Thielen, not Cooper Cup. Is Justin Watson the next Adam Thielen? Yeah, he very well could be. I think he's going to test out as a much better athlete than Cooper Cup, and I think Thielen is maybe not a bad comparison. Now, is he going to get into a situation where, like Thielen where he's fed a bunch of targets and all of a sudden everything clicks for him? I don't know. But I think Watson is absolutely a guy to keep an eye on late in your rookie drafts. He got a combine invite, and unlike Adam Thielen, you know, Adam Thielen had to go to a regional combine. Justin Watson got a combine invite. He's on the radar of NFL scouts. He will receive a lot more opportunity a lot sooner than Adam Thielen. Now, I talked earlier about how I don't do a lot of trading, but I did execute a couple trades the last few weeks. I'm going to give you one trade to evaluate. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. I traded a mid-first rounder this year, a second rounder next year, and Mac Hollins for Adam Thielen, Austin Carr, Ryan Switzer, and a fourth rounder. How'd I do? Highway robbery. I mean, listen, first of all, you got the best receiver from North Carolina over the last two years in Ryan Switzer. He's a better player than Matt Collins. He will have a better career than Matt Collins. So right there, you can kind of cross those off, right? And that's kind of the way we're looking at these trades. You can cross off Switzer and Hollins. You get the better value there. Would I trade a first-rounder in this class for Adam Thielen? Absolutely. That's a guy that obviously has produced over the last two seasons. And for some reason, he's being devalued in Dynasty Leagues, despite the fact that his situation will probably get better. I don't see any way that his quarterback situation doesn't improve this year. Because at the very the worst-case scenario is that they keep Case Keenum. The best-case scenario is that they get Kirk Cousins or Teddy Bridgewater's 100% healthy. I think you stole Adam Thielen. Well, I did also include tight end Garrett Selleck in the deal. (laughs) That's a throwaway. (laughs) Adam Thielen's going to be 27 when the season starts. That's why, Marcus, when the season starts, technically, 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 Adam Thielen has passed the age apex. That's why I was able to acquire him. A dynasty owner was rebuilding, wanted to accumulate youth, liked Mac Hollins, wanted some draft picks. And the next thing you know, I own Adam Thielen!
the next thing you know, I own Adam Thielen! You have a wide receiver one on your hands for the next several years. Congratulations. Robbery. That's the show. So you think Switzer will outproduce Cole Beasley this season? I think there's a good chance Cole Beasley is not on the team this season, so yeah. That makes teams nervous. Oh, it makes me nervous. Are you kidding? Fuck NFL teams. It makes me nervous. Terrified. I want to be blown away, Marcus. I'm waiting to be blown away. No one's blowing me away. Did you hear how I did it with Ryan? I will kind of control that because, you know, I'm I'm pretty good at that. You're the podfather. I don't have that many skills, but when it comes to conceptualizing a show in my head, basically having like a running virtual show sheet in my head that I can just sort of check off like a video game, I have that skill. My skill is the analysis. No, it's fine. Keurig is great. I mean, it's it's fine. It's convenient. It's very convenient. I Keurig all the time. I mean, it's it's fine. I mean, it's it's fine. I'm not like an anti where I wouldn't drink a Keurig coffee. Of course not. My sister has one. My best friends have one. It's fine. They're fine. I mean, it's it's fine. Nothing to be ashamed of. Get a bag of coffee beans and open it up. It smells good. You're going to do a little bit about dynasty philosophy, correct? I mean, basically, I keep seeing all these wide receivers getting listed before running backs that are good. And I thought we were done with that. I I feel like I'm looking back in time, like in the 1800s, like people on wagons. I feel like there's just a wagon train. There's horse and buggies in the street. There's horse manure all over the street. And Philadelphia Eagles fans are scooping it up and eating it. And I don't understand what's happening. I'm like, this is this is like an archaic approach to a dynasty league draft where you would actually consider a wide receiver in the first round. You idiots. This isn't 2014, bro. Yep. There isn't even a Mike Evans. I'm not even saying there's an Odell Beckham. I'm saying there's not even a Mike Evans. Right. There's not anybody. I mean, you need to get the fuck out of here. That's what I've been doing. The last wide receiver that really necessitated first round consideration and absolutely should have been drafted in the top five in the first round of most drafts was Amari Cooper in the early first round. But after that, man, it's way too risky and you don't get the payoff. So if if you don't get the payoff in year one, you're better off just getting the running back, rolling it over and then trade him a year from now because you can trade Kamara now for Corey Davis and John Ross and Mike Williams. So I don't even get it. I don't even get it's the same thing with tight ends. Like we know there's a gestation rate for tight ends. So why you draft them in rookie drafts? Get the guys that can help you now that are much higher floors with predictable rookie production. How predictable was John Ross's rookie production? How predictable is Laquan Treadwell's production? How predictable was even Will Fuller's production? It hasn't been predictable since he came into the league. What are we talking about? Josh Doxson, I can go down the list of recently drafted first-round wide receivers. Philip Dorsett, Brashad Perriman, Kevin White. Are you fucking insane? And of the running backs in the first three rounds, it's hard to find one that didn't give you something. Even Jeremy Hill sustained his dynasty value for a couple of years. Even Jeremy fucking Hill sustained his dynasty value, and he was a guy. He was the guy of the guys. On the Mount Rushmore of guys is Jeremy Hill, and even he sustained value for three years. Right, most of the time, they're going to give those first two-round running backs work, regardless if they're good or bad. They're going to get work, bro. There's way too much at stake when you own a guy for life. People are so flippant, just giving away first-round picks and burning them, like lighting them on fire. It's like, this isn't redraft. 
There's a lot at stake here. You own these guys for life. You can't be fucking around with Cortland Sutton when Rashad Penny's on the board. That's the essence of what I'm saying, is you can go fuck around and, and jerk yourself off with Cortland Sutton and his upside when Rashad Penny's on the board, but that's how you lose fantasy leagues. Because in the end, when you're adding up all the value you're accruing, you're in the red. You have a deficit when you're doing that. And the guys that are running a surplus are the guys drafting running backs in those first couple rounds every year. And now you can get John Kelly. Now you can get Mark Walton in the second round. If you're considering wide receiver in the second round, I mean, Mark Walton and John Kelly better be off the board for me before I start considering those second round wide receivers. Mm -hmm. But it's this problem where, like last year, I had to go out to Godwin. He was the first receiver I ever thought about drafting because he was undervalued. Taewon Taylor, Kenny Galladay, those were the three. The big three for me were Godwin, Galladay, and Taylor, mostly in round three. Because even in round two, I was drafting Marlon Mack, right? Right. Kamara was slipping, Hunt was slipping in cases, and then if, if neither of those guys were there, once Mack was off the board, then, okay, I'll start looking at your wide receivers, and I'll start taking chances. And I'll start embracing the possibility of just fucking lighting my, the first year of this guy on fire. We should have saved this for the podcast. That was a hot discussion right there. Did you get to the outtakes of the show? Uh, is that at the very bottom? Wait, did you, do you not know about outtakes? No. After the music runs, there's another like 10 minutes of show. I never get to that part. I never get to that part. Oh my God, you don't know about outtakes. Dude, our show we did, there's another six minute of outtakes of basically the highlights from the show and I isolated you mispronouncing, you garbled a word. I isolated it and I played it on a loop. You didn't hear that? I wrote it on our little... You had this amazing garble, which is like an epic garble in show history. I wrote it on our little... You just had marbles in your mouth for like an entire word and you embraced it. You did full garble. I wrote it on our little... And I kept looping it over and over again. Good. All right. I'm the podfather, motherfucker. You always trust the podfather. There isn't content wasted. I mean, <laughs> I'm like one of those survivalists where I use every part of the deer. I mean, we got venison for dinner, right? We're eating it with like antler forks. I mean, I'm on it. We're burning, you know, deer dung in the fireplace. I mean, it's. I would never stoop that low. I don't even know what that means. I don't hunt at all. I have no idea what I'm saying. It just sounded good. I'm sure that would be dumb. Another DJ, not DJ Moore, DJ Clark. It's actually pronounced DJ Chark. That's in the outtakes. Uh, uh, Clark. Chark. DJ Chark. DJ Chark. Who's named Chark in this world? I mean, go to the white pages. I'm old enough to remember phone books. You go to the phone book, you look up Chark. There's no one in there named Chark. Alvin Kamara and Kareem Hunt will be top 10 running backs, if healthy, next season. And that's all you need to know. Maybe he was kidnapped by wizards or something, and he was at Hogwarts for an extra couple of years because he had to help Hagrid raise dragons. I don't fucking care. All right, man, let's do a show. All right, let's do it. Let's go. Welcome. Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Mosier. The only receiver from Penn State that I care about is Saquon Barkley. If he's from a small school and he's productive, I like him. He's your arbitrage Cooper Cup, though. No, of course he's a slot receiver. This draft is all slot receivers. I mean, if you like slot receivers, you have this giant boner 
that is raising up the desk. DJ Moore, he's the slot receiver from heaven. Anthony Miller, I mean, these are all slot receivers at the next level. Let's not get this twisted. Adam Thielen's a slot receiver, and he's 6'2", and he's amazing at playing the wide receiver position. So it's not a slight to call a guy a slot receiver. The league is moving to feeding the slot receivers. 10 of the top 24 wide receivers in fantasy had 50% or more of their snaps out of the slot, including Keenan Allen. So slot receivers, not a pejorative. If you like that kind of thing, this is the draft for you, and you can get one of these guys in the third round, and you don't have to blow your load on Cortland Sutton chasing an old wide receiver archetype from the 1980s. I think the slot receiver position is actually becoming a more valuable position than outside receiver. Way. That's why Trey Quinn is arguably a better pick than Cortland Sutton. Certainly going to be a better value, bro. Exactly. I think Sutton's going to go in the first round. Of course he's going to go in the first round. Of course he is. He's going to be radioactive to me, bro. I would love to have a conversation about Sutton and Ridley and all these guys, but I won't be in a position to actually draft them in real life. Right? Because I'm not drafting wide receivers in those slots. I mean, I'm not a masochist. I want guys that'll produce in year one. (laughs) He'll be drafted somewhere. That's the analysis. Oh, Michael Gallup. He's pretty good. He's solid and he'll be drafted somewhere. You're welcome, Lance Zerline. You're welcome. The gavel's coming down and it's case closed. It's just court is adjourned, Marcus. I don't care if you send a SWAT team to my house. You're not going to make me draft one of these wide receivers. And it's not anything against them. I felt the same way last year. I mean, I liked Corey Davis, but I wasn't drafting him. And it was a better receiver class, too. And the guy that I'm most excited about is now Chris Godwin, the guy I happen to get all over the place. You like Godwin better than Juju? No, I forgot about Juju. But it's like I said, I blacked out on the first round wide receivers. The guy that that we can't forget, and I think we all know is going to be good, and it sets up perfectly for him next year with Decker gone, probably in Tennessee, is Taewon Taylor. We like these slot receivers. You know, we like an Anthony Miller. And Anthony Miller is just trying to be Taewon Taylor, really. Yeah, I think Miller's got a higher ceiling. That's kind of like a personal preference thing. It ends up being like this personal preference thing. But what I'm saying is when I put guys in buckets, those guys are in the same bucket. I like Anthony Miller personally because I just learned that he's black. (laughs) I thought he was white for years. You know, I was like, and then when I found out he's black, I was like, oh, my God, I love this guy. It's funny. That's why we have the outtakes. And then when I found out he's black, I was like, oh, my God, I love this guy. If it's in the outtakes, right, if, you know, because there's music playing in the background and it's kind of like, this is the stuff that doesn't count. Race was in the part of the discussion. Oh, but that wasn't in the show. Right. You know that Twitter emoji where the hands are up in the air? You know, just like, hey, hey, uh, I don't know. Don't blame me. That was on the outtakes. That was that didn't count. That was on the cutting room floor, bro. The reason I wanted to bring this up to you is one trade has your boy in it. Switzer. I was like basically giving up draft picks for white receivers. They're all white, aren't they? <laughs> Thielen, Carr, and Switzer. And a fourth rounder, which will inevitably be another white receiver. Troy Quinn. That's a great deal for you. Who, who did you rob on that one? People love Mac Hollins. Why? I don't know. They'd like him. I happen to have him on my taxi squad just because I'm smart. I stash guys that look like Mac Hollins. If you're prototypical X or prototypical Y, I stash you. So I am always stashing the Austin Cars and the Mac Hollins. He was the third best receiver on North Carolina last year or two years ago. 
he accepted it. And I was like, oh God, that just happened? Like, I think I was talking to my wife and I my phone vibrated and I looked at my phone and I was like, oh my God, can I just, I gotta stop this conversation for a second. I just need to, give me a second. I gotta digest what just happened. People do that, man, in Dynasty. They just decide they're done with players and you just need to be the first one that's there to just say, yes, please, and put your hand out and then you'll get the guy. Dynasty is, it, it rewards the active owner. Thielen's situation could improve this year. We might have not seen a ceiling yet. Like if they get Kirk Cousins, which is kind of like the talk around the league, I like Cousins better than I like Case Keenum. If Bridgewater is back to full health, he's also better than Keenum. Absolutely. Not even close. I knew that I liked you, but I didn't know how much I liked you. I just knew that I liked you. This is a Valentine's podcast. I shouldn't be surprised when you like Bridgewater because you already were clearly wired in the right way from the beginning for us to even get to this point. And now you like Bridgewater. Like, it, of course you do. The noise around Bridgewater was just gross. Yeah, it was. Going back to his time at Louisville, going all the way back years, dude, the noise has been just gross. Anybody watches him, you can see how talented he is. You can see how accurate he is. Yeah. I don't know. He's a savant quarterback. There's very few guys like that. They have such feel for the game. Because he looks different than what we're used to seeing at quarterback or what people are used to seeing. He looked a hell of a lot like Aaron Rodgers coming out of college. And Joku and O.J. Howard. That was an exception that I made last year in tight end premium. I think those guys are completely amazing. Yeah, especially Njoku. Because I think it's wheels up for both of them this year. But see, that's the part of being a good dynasty owner, being flexible. I mean, you, you, you can't have just hard in the sand, you know, takes where you don't want to ever deviate. I'm not this hardwired, hard-coded, I only do things a certain way. I look at the draft classes, and the tight end draft class was insane last year. Right. Once every five years, these guys come around. Just like if I was in the NFL, I would have been targeting the cornerbacks last year because it was such an amazing class. And the Cowboys getting a Wuze, that was just such a perfect. Mm -hmm. You can't draw it up better than them getting a Wuze there. Whatever the strongest position is in the draft, put the pedal down instead of taking the best guy at a weak position. That's always such a sucker move. Yep. No, I don't have Auden Tate in my top 12 because it looks like he has a sled attached to his back when he's trying to run routes. <laughs> I can't believe there's a guy named Trey Quinn and another guy named Trey Quan, and I have them back-to-back -back in the rankings. It goes Trey Quan, then Trey Quinn. I love coffee. I drink four to five cups of coffee a day. You can probably tell based on my demeanor on podcasts. You hit the brew button, and oh my goodness oh oh that is delicious coffee oh i start my day with a smile on my face because of that cup of coffee with no sugar or cream added because i am a real man and real men drink black coffee yes i always think hmm wow my day would have been better if I had that coffee. Yes. No warmer. Filtered water. Fresh grounds. A heated carafe. And keep it black. What do you love about Anthony Miller? Nobody can cover him. That's not going to matter if he ends up on the Jets. There's hundreds of guys that change teams every single year and lose value. 
43% took the basket of wide receivers. Picking the wide receiver basket over Alvin Kamara. Crazy. It is crazy. I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy. They've lost their minds. They keep trading for wide receivers as if they're trading for Odell Beckham Jr. and Mike Evans. Those wide receivers aren't walking through that door. And they certainly didn't walk through that door last year. I mean, what? 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 But this idea that Corey Davis will produce at a level that's anywhere close to Kareem Hunt and Alvin Kamara is pie in the fucking sky. This is the Cooper Cup corollary. Alabama? At Alabama? Alabama? But you don't have him ranked. What are you talking about? Um, I, I, at this point, um, I, I... This guy sounds like a wide receiver perfectly suited for 1998. The North Turner offense? This is a bummer, dude. I know you and your type, and I want nothing to do with you in my dynasty rookie dress, Mr. Sutton. I had a full-blown loogie on the spit guard there. I'm such a sucker. Strongest hands, wrists, and fingers I've ever seen from a player. Here's the problem with your Tyler Boyd comp. Christian Kirk was not a special teamer at the college level. He had three punt returns for a touchdown. Christian Kirk was not a special teamer at the college level. He had three punt returns for a touchdown. Because yards from scrimmage don't count punt returns. Yards from scrimmage don't count punt returns? Yards from scrimmage don't count punt returns? He had three punt returns for a touchdown. He has six punt return touchdowns in his career. So he is Tyler Boyd. We do love receivers that are productive on special teams. That absolutely matters. We've seen that over and over. That matters. Just ask Antonio Brown if that matters. Everyone asks, well, how did player profiler miss on Antonio Brown? Well, who's to say we missed on him? I will shark my pants. I can't say the word shark, man. I'm trying to say it, but it's not a normal word. Like, my vocal cords have never spoken that word before. It's not something I'm accustomed to doing, and I can't do it. It's very difficult. It's much easier for me to say Dion Kane. Dion Kane. Dion Kane just rolls off the tongue. Dion Kane. Look at the Podfather doing Podfather things. What? 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 Cortland Sutton, who is as useful as a bag of dicks. Cortland Sutton goes. Cortland Sutton goes. Cortland Sutton goes. Bag of dicks. I'm the pod father, motherfucker.